Amen. What a beautiful job today. Thank you, and thank you for being here. I wasn't sure, told Cindy, there might just be about a hundred of us after last night and all that went down and the lateness of the night and uh, the way things happened. I'll come back to that in a minute, okay? So First uh, John chapter 5. First John 5, we are in this series, Blessed Assurance, Light, Love, and Life with Christ. And in this final chapter, in fact, we're in the final three weeks. We are in the home stretch. And so in this final chapter, um, we have this, this assurance that God wants us to have through the pen of John and through the life of John. And so this verse, 1 John 5, 13, is so pivotal to the whole book. John tells us, this is why I'm writing this to you. I'm going to tell you my purpose. Just like if you guys are writing a thesis paper, you're supposed to have a purpose statement. In fact, if you read most books carefully, you'll find that those books actually will tell you, this is why I'm writing either in the introduction, sometimes they'll put it through another author in the forward, but normally it's in the very front. Here it happens to be at the end, in the last chapter. But I want you to say this verse with me. As we do that, this uh, thing is still counting me down in the red, and I just started and have a lot to say. So if y'all will make that thing go white on me, I would appreciate it, because uh, it's making me nervous. Okay, First John five thirteen. you guys say this with me, then we'll put a few blanks in, okay? You ready? These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Very good, guys, very good. So let's look at that. John says, I'm writing to you for this purpose. I really want you to know. I want you to know, preachers say that you know that you know, but that word is so important. We'll unpack that actually uh, next week. I have a message I've already written called, I Believe. I cannot wait. I just, I want to preach this one first, but I believe. And we have some statements of declaration. But I want you to say this with me. Let's throw a few blanks in it. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Yeah, so this is why John's writing, right? Now, if you've been at Grace much at all, you guys know music is my thing. I was going to say music is my jam, but that sounds old school. So I love music. Uh, God uses music to help me memorize things. Um, and uh, a lot of times for people like myself that love music, music is a whole other language that the, the, wor the, the world uses, but that the Word uses. And, and we've used people like Whitney Houston, How Will I Know, Mandisa, Overcomer, Johnny Lee, Looking for Love, The Great Pretender, Abide in Me, What's Love Got to Do With It, Greater Is He, uh, even a few weeks ago, Uncle Huey, Power of Love. We've had all of these songs. Today's a song title too, I just didn't know it. But um, Last week we talked about Nike or Nike, victory. I used a song there, victory in Jesus. And we have Nike or Nike, which means victory. And it's uh, victories procured or you get it through faith. It's assured through love. It's secured through obedience. Meaning we've got to do the right thing. And today's another song. I didn't know it though. It's called, Can I Get a Witness? Did any of y'all know that was a song? Bob Bell did because he said if I sung it, he'd dance. A couple of y'all knew. Anybody else know it was a song? I didn't know it was a song. 
Okay, we, some of y'all showing your age right now. I see. Can I get a witness? Actually recorded in the mid-60s by Marvin Gaye. It was re-recorded by the Supremes. It was recorded by Stevie Wonder, who I love as an artist. Uh, so it's been recorded by a lot of people. I'm not going to sing it. I don't know it. But when I hear the phrase, can I get a witness, I think of that as a preacher phrase. Uh, I think of that as the pastor saying, hey, do y'all agree with me? So if I said to you, God is good all the time, can I get a witness? You'd say, yeah, amen, or all the time, God is good. Sometimes we reverse it. So if I'm saying, do you agree with me? Do you agree that God is good? Do you agree that God is, is bigger than the pandemic? Do you agree that God's more important than a UT football game? Oh, okay, I didn't know what y'all would say. Can I get a witness? So we're watching the game. I wasn't there last night. I'm kind of glad I didn't go now. Y'all reckon anybody had anything to drink through the day yesterday? Great timing, buddy. I'm just glad that didn't hit me. Don't anybody else try that. That was the head of security. So Bobby and I are watching the game, right? And here's the thing with this. Y'all, I'm going to make the TV people crazy, ain't I? Okay, just follow me. So the crazy thing is that my 15-year-old my and I are sitting there watching, and it's been a good game. It's been a good ball game. UT still has a chance. Whether you agree or disagree with the call, right, whether they made the first down or not, whether you, oh, sorry, I got a leg cramp. I'm, I'm, yeah. Oh, so y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. So however you feel about it, okay, was it right for people to throw water bottles? Heads up. Was that right? You can keep that. That's a gift. Was, was it right for people to throw water bottles? No. Was it right to throw golf balls? There's some golfer out there going, I don't know where it went, right? So, no, of course, that was a bad witness. Are all UT fans like that? Okay, then why do we let the world say, you Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. All y'all do this and all y'all do that. No, we don't. See, people look at the church and say, see, church is all gone off the rail. Church is all full of crooks and hypocrites. No, we're not. All UT fans are not bad, and all churches are not bad, and all preachers are not bad, all teachers are not bad, all cops are not bad, all soldiers, you'll follow what I'm saying. What we've got to do is be a witness to a watching world, because here's the truth, it did deeply disappoint me last night. I've been buying some gear, man. I got a new Vol hat this week. I got some shirts. I'm trying to get into it. Now, I still love Carolina, and we won, by the way. So Carolina beat Miami. Uh, I thought they were going to kick us out of double dogs because I kind of went crazy at the end. But uh, I'm going to still be a Tar Heel, but they're in the ACC. So I can root for a team in the SEC. And I never could get into that whole thing down in Florida, so I just couldn't do it. But I, I want to be a fan. But I want to be a good fan. And today, God doesn't want you to be a fan. He wants you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But he wants you to be a follower that a watching world is looking at saying, okay, I want to be that too. The crazy thing about last night was there was such a cool energy, and it was so great in the first part. And man, I love the checkerboard. How in the world do you get 102,000 people to wear that, the clothes like that in their sections? I mean, it's incredible, the vibe in that place. And I have been to several games, and the vibe is amazing and beautiful. But do you realize all the commentators want to talk about at the end was who threw what and where to whom and why, right? And so as the church of the Lord Jesus, when the world is watching, we got to make sure we're not doing a lot of good things a lot of the time. We need to make sure we're keeping our eyes on Jesus and being a positive witness all the time.
Because when we're not, they're watching, and they're going to want to throw stuff at us. And so I really want us to get down to brass tacks here on what John is talking about. This is a challenging little section. But I think if you'll hang with me for just the next little bit, you're going to see, although I don't have points one, two, three, I'm going to unpack it differently because the text is so different. But you're going to understand that this guy is totally qualified to say what he's about to say. I mean, John is the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, not the Baptist. John the Baptist was actually related to Jesus. This is John the Apostle. John the Apostle walked and talked and ate and ministered with Jesus all through his earthly ministry. Can I be honest? When you threw that, Ted, it made me nervous because I forgot we were doing it. (laughs) So don't anybody else throw anything. Ted might just get up. All right. So this John was there in the upper room right next to the Lord. This John was there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ was taken. This John was at the cross when Jesus said to him, Behold thy mother, mother, behold thy son. In other words, Jesus loved this John so much, he said, I want you to take after my mom. I'm about to die, but I want you to take after Mother Mary. And so this John was there in the upper room, different upper room, when Jesus came through the locked doors and said, See my hands and my side." A spirit does not have the flesh and bone that I have. And and here, touch it if you need to. This John was there 10 days after Jesus ascended. He was at the ascension too. But 10 days later, he was there at the holy city of Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell. You see the lyric, when you fall, we fall on our knees. That means when the Spirit of God falls. Not God falling down, but when the Spirit of God falls. We fall before you, Lord. And so John was there when the Spirit fell. John was there through the birth and the explosive growth of the Christian church. 2,000 years ago, John was there. Now, John's a lot older. He's an elder statesman in the church. And through his age and his witness and his testimony, John is seeing some people that are denying who Jesus really was. They're denying who Christ really is. And so John's trying to say, listen, I'm going to give you assurance of your salvation, but you've got to have the right Christ to have an effective witness. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 John 5, 6 through 9. John says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And this is the Spirit, capital S, who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now let me pause for a second. Some of your Bible translations are going to look different than what I'm about to read. Don't wig out. It's not a contradiction in the Bible. The King James and the New King James that I'm reading is on the screen uses what's called the majority text. That's a group of manuscript evidence in Greek, primarily Greek for the New Testament. It's all Koine Greek. It's Greek manuscripts. And here's the deal. After the King James was written after 1611, more manuscripts were found. Some of them were much older than the ones the King James and the New King James used. So, out of some of those manuscripts, a different group of manuscripts, uh, the modern translations like NIV, NASB, ESV, and some of the others you may have, may have slightly different wording. Normally, in your reference notes, it'll tell you why. It might say, these words were not in the oldest and best manuscripts. I happen to like the New King James because I grew up on a King James Bible where I came from. But I don't really like the Elizabethan English. I don't use it. I don't say whence and wherefore and thee and thou. So I preach the New King James. Your Bible may read differently. It doesn't mean it's a contradiction. When we get there, I'll explain how nothing that's changed changes the meaning of the text. By the way, that's true here and everywhere else. And there are minor, minor, minor changes, and there's only a handful of them in the New Testament. But here's a place where you'll see some difference. So 
verse 7. Your Bible may stop at the words, in heaven. King James, New King James, majority text, and it simply means majority because there's more of them. They were found, they're, they're later text. It says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. And my Bible adds, the Father, the Word, or Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So it's very Trinitarian. And then there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. And if we receive witness of the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of, his Son. Let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we would receive this good witness and that we would be a good witness. Last night, I know many uh, longtime Vol fans were disappointed. Not only disappointed by the outcome of the game, but disappointed at the way others responded. And Lord, there's a great passion here, but sometimes with that passion for our team, and, and particularly if you mix it with other things, God, it, it can turn into something that's, that's really not attractive. And Lord, I pray that we would be passionate about Christ, but that that would be an attractive passion, that we wouldn't turn away the world, that we wouldn't do things that would be ugly or off-putting. People are watching, and we can do a hundred things good and right and one thing wrong, and they'll talk about the one thing. And so, Lord, keep us close and keep us clean. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't let us misstep. You have had your hand of blessing on this church. I was sharing with those prayer partners. God, we have been rejoicing this week in what you've been doing here. But, Lord, we realize it's not because of us. It's in spite of us. And so continue to bless, oh God. And we'll continue to keep our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So let's look at verse 6. I'm just going to have to walk through it a little slower because it, this can be a little confusing, but let's unpack it, keep it try to keep it simple. Verse 6 says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but also by water and blood. And it's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now, several suggestions have been put out there for water and blood. There are all kinds of theories. Maybe it meant the physical birth of Jesus. Those of you who have seen that understand that picture. Um, but most conservative scholars agree, and I'm in this camp too, most of the, the, the guys that are writing about this and the ladies writing and studying this deeply believe that actually John is speaking very specifically to a heresy that he's trying to correct in his lifetime. There's this group of people claiming to be Christians. They're actually anti-Christian, anti-Christ. But they were basically making this bogus claim about Jesus. And I think what John is trying to say, I don't even think it's the water and blood that came out of Jesus' side. Some people have said, well, when they thrust the spear, it was water and blood, and it proved Jesus was really dying, you know, piercing the sack around the heart and all this. And I don't know about all that. What I do know is that most scholars agree that this is hitting a heresy, a problem in uh, orthodoxy. And so let me write it. I, I just did it in a paragraph because I didn't really know how else to do it. Let me give you some explanation. I mentioned it last week. Some of the false teachers of John's day taught that the divine Christ, the Messiah, so Christ is Greek, Messiah is Hebrew, same person, the chosen one of God, the anointed one who would deliver Israel and ultimately deliver any sinner who came to him by faith. This, this Christ 
These false teachers claim that the Christ descended on the man Jesus at his baptism, water, and then left before his crucifixion, blood. In other words, they said there's no way God could really be born through a human. And so Jesus wasn't really God when he was born. He was a regular dude born to Joseph and Mary, but he was a good dude, probably not sinless, but a good guy. And so at his baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, the Christ, the anointing, came on Jesus. So he was saved there, anointed there. But then right before he died at the crucifixion, well, surely God can't die. And so the divinity, the Christness, left Jesus. So he only seemed to be God. He appeared to be God. And there are big fancy theological terminologies for all of this. But truth is, that's been proven bogus. Since the, the Bible was written, this is a bogus idea. And so these false teachers in the church were claiming that Jesus really wasn't who the Bible said he was. So they denied his full deity and rejected the truth that one person, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man Jesus, came by both water and blood. Now, if that's correct, it means that we have no Savior at all. Because, folks, let me explain something as best I can. If Jesus is not fully God, then he's not perfect and he's not the perfect sacrifice. If he's not fully man, then he's not really like you and really like me and he wouldn't be the perfect substitute. And so him being fully God and simultaneously actually in the same body in the same moment being fully man allows him to have his hand on God and his hand on man as the perfect mediator that bridges the gap between me and my creator and you and your creator. And so he's perfect and he dies in perfection, but he's also God and so he's raised to a new life, and so the idea that Jesus wasn't who the Bible says he was was a big problem. And John said, No, 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 no. The Spirit bears witness. See, the Spirit was there at Jesus' baptism. The Spirit bears witness. And God the Father said, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Not he's just becoming my Son, but he's always been my Son. This same John also said in John 1 1, In the beginning was the Word. Word was a name for Jesus, Lagos. In the beginning, I'll say it this way In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That means in the beginning of time. That's why when you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, plural pronouns. And so what we find here is that John is trying to correct something and give a proper witness. I broke it down like this. Water equals the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. All that did was start his public ministry. The baptism was where Jesus uh, was announcing to the world, I'm going to be public from here on. But he was always God. He was God at age 12 in the temple when the religious leaders were astounded by him. He was God in the manger when he was born in Bethlehem. He's always been God. But the blood, and this is true all over the New Testament, the blood points to the crucifixion or the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary. So this very important truth is that Jesus did not become Messiah at his baptism. He's always been the chosen one of God. He was and is and always will be the Christ. Now listen to this. Baptism doesn't change him into someone or something different. It only publicizes what was already true. Baptism doesn't change you into someone or somebody different. It just shows publicly what's already true. Baptism is incredibly important 
but it is not salvific. It doesn't make one a Christian. While, and I wrote it like this, while the water is a powerful symbol and it's a visible symbol of a vital reality, I'm cleansed in Christ, I'm dead, buried, resurrected in Christ. It is only Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who alone gives us hope for this life and the life to come. So remember what John said. Not this John, John the Baptist. When Jesus is coming toward him to the Jordan River, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The water doesn't take away your sin. The Lamb of God takes away your sin. However, And this is a big, big however. If Christ has truly saved you, it is imperative, it is not optional that you be baptized. And the only baptism the Bible knows is for those who have already trusted Jesus, that you would be immersed in water to demonstrate the picture of death, burial, and resurrection. Baptizo means dip, submerge, or plunge beneath. And so it is a vital, vital witness. It's one of the greatest witnesses Christians do for the watching world to say, I have been changed by Christ. I am a child of God, and now I'm showing the world on the outside what's already happened on the inside, and that is the witness that we should be celebrating. Now, y'all can go crazy at the game. I can go crazy at the game. We can hoop, and we can holler, and we can get excited, and that's perfectly fine, but shouldn't it be even more exciting when somebody shows on the outside what Jesus has done on the inside? Ought we not to be clapping and cheering and going, yes. I mean, can I get a witness, y'all? Can I? So our students, a week and a half ago, I went over there on a Wednesday night, and I wanted to see what God was up to in our student ministry of grace. And under Pastor Brian Thomas, it is a great ministry. And let me tell you, eight of these kids said yes to Jesus. They had already been saved, but now they were witnessing their salvation through baptism. And because this is our church family and our students, I want you to listen, I want you to watch, and I want you to listen. And I purposely had Jesse not edit the audio track. There's some music he added, but he didn't enhance or change the clapping and the cheering. They even had some signs up. They were banging on tables for each other. You can bang on pews, I don't care. We're getting rid of them one day. So he, he got a great audio track and some great visual. I want us to celebrate. I want us to see these students I was so thrilled at the way they cheered for one another. They cheered as much for one another there as they do out there on that football field or over here on the court. They cheered and they encouraged. And as a church, folks, the world is watching. If we can't be excited about people declaring their life is in the hands of Christ, if we can't get excited, then something's wrong with our church. So let's show y'all and let's celebrate these baptisms from last week. We're about to have eight students come through the waters of baptism, and what they are doing is they're declaring the gospel. They're showing that they have come to realize that they need Christ in his death, in his resurrection. Just like Jesus was buried, they're going to be buried in this water, but he didn't stay in that tomb. He raised from the dead, and they're gonna raise up to symbolize their new life with him. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of boldness, and it is the starting line for them. This is the beginning of their journey to build the kingdom. My name is Spencer Myers, and Jesus is my Lord. 
Spencer, because of your profession of faith, I baptize you as my brother in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Lindsay Morgan, and Jesus is my Lord. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Ellie Milligan, and Jesus is my Lord. Baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Raise us to walk in the newness of life. Uh, my name is Sophie, and Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Let's go. Married with him in baptism. Raise to walk. Haley Sainsbury and Jesus is my Lord. Married with him in baptism. Raised to walk. Hi, my name is Haley and Jesus is my Lord. Married with him in baptism. Raised to walk. My name is Riley and Jesus is my Lord. Yeah. Married with him in baptism. Raised to walk. Listen, it's appropriate that Ben is at the end of this line because he was actually at the beginning of this line. And so it was Ben who said, I need to be baptized. And, and I said, okay, well, let's do it. Let's put it on the calendar. And we did, and we made one announcement and so many other students were like, me too. And so uh, it, it was because of Ben's courage that a lot of these students stepped up. And so I'm proud of you. Yeah? It's not me, it's all him. Yeah. My name is Ben, and Jesus is definitely my Lord. Yeah, come on. Let's celebrate what God's Raise doing in these kids' lives. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on. Come on. Now you know you can stand up and act crazy last night for five or six hours. You can celebrate these kids. All right, now here's what's super cool about this. Last week, Brian told me that right after the service, y'all gotta be seated, I got more preaching. Right after the service, four more came forward and said, I wanna be baptized. Right after last service, we had several come forward and said, you know, I need to do this too. Some of y'all need to nail this down and get this right, man. Some of y'all need to be baptized. I didn't tell you to be baptized to be saved. I'm saying that if you are truly saved, you're going to want to follow Christ in baptism. You said, yeah, but here's the thing. I got baptized, and then later in life I got saved. I don't need to do it again. Let me tell you a secret here. You ready? And this is no secret, but if you got baptized and then got saved, you didn't get baptized. You got wet, and they didn't use soap. You need to get baptized. That's like wearing this ring and not being married. It's nothing but a ring. But I wear it because it's a covenant. I wear it because she finally said yes to the glory of God. I wear it because it means something. Baptism only means something after true salvation. And so it is an important witness. And John is saying, look, at his baptism, Jesus didn't change natures, but the witness of the water was important. Yes, the thief on the cross didn't have to get baptized to go be with Jesus in heaven that day. He didn't have to join a church. He didn't have to give a tithe. But I'll guarantee 
guarantee you if you could have gotten off that cross, Jesus would have said, where's the closest water? Come on, boy, we need to get you wet. It's time to show the watching world we're serious about our faith. If I'm ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of me before the Father. Can I get a witness? Amen. That's the truth. Now, look, here's the thing. We have these verses here that get a little bit interesting, right? And it talks about that God has shown us the full deity of Jesus, both in his baptism and his death. And that word bear witness or testimony, it's used nine different times in this section. It's from the Greek word martus. We would eventually get the word martyr out of this word, one willing to die for their faith. But here it simply meant one who had intimate, personal, immediate knowledge of something or someone. So I am a martus. I am a witness. And yes, if it meant my very life, of course I would give that, as I would hope you would say the same. But living where we do in a time where we are, that's not the case right now. But I am willing to turn over and say, look, God has all of my life, and I want the world to know that. And so John the Apostle, whose writing was a witness when Jesus was crucified, but he says there's an even greater witness. Verse 7, he says there is a testifier. In fact, there's God the Father, the Word Jesus, the Logos, and the Holy Spirit, and the three agree. Now, you might argue, yes, but that Trinitarian verse isn't even in the original manuscripts. It's not even in the Bible. It was added later. Well, you can argue that if you want, but the Trinity's all over the Bible, so it really doesn't matter. In fact, one of the purest, most beautiful, powerful pictures of the Trinity is right there when Jesus was baptized. When Jesus went down into the Jordan, and we have the Father speaking about the Son, that he's pleased in what he's doing in making public his ministry now, you also have the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. So you have this visual and auditory picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So you do see the triune Godhead there and all over the Bible. So regardless Regardless of how verse 7 reads, we see the truth of Trinity everywhere. Now, verse 8 is in the manuscripts normally. It's in all of them, essentially. And there are three here that bear witness on the earth. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the water, meaning Jesus' beginning of public ministry, and the blood, meaning the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He did stay on the earth about 40 days after resurrection, but the bulk of his earthly ministry. And so you have the bookends of that ministry through his baptism, through his death, burial, resurrection, and soon ascension. And so we have all of this evidence, all of these witnesses that attest to who Jesus is. I wrote with this statement, the witness of the Spirit is joined to the witness of the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now when it says blood, in the New Testament, almost universally, most every time, it's referring to the specific crucifixion of Christ. And we have a problem happening in our day, and that is that you have a lot of preaching that doesn't want to focus. When the Bible focuses on the blood, it kind of wants to do a kind of plow around that. The Holman New Testament commentary says this, the crucifixion is a grisly execution that does not make for polite conversation. This results in a gravitational pull away from the cross. This pull we must resist. The Bible insists on certain fundamental absolute truth. If there's no cross, there's no Christianity. If there's no Christianity, there's no salvation. If there's no salvation, there's no hope. A lot of churches, even in their architecture, are purposely getting away from the cross. 
Let's t- take off the steeple, make this look as much like a business complex as possible, do away with the symbolism, the symbology of our faith so that we don't offend people. You say, oh, surely that's not happening. No, it's been happening for a long time. In fact, if we go back nearly 30 years to 1994, there was a World Council of Churches. Now, admittedly, this is a very liberal group. But in this World Council of Churches, they were focusing on Christian salvation, the doctrine of soteriology. And one of the lady speakers there, and these are supposed to be ministers, and they're supposed to be experts in theology, but one of the speakers, Dolores Williams, did not hide her agenda. She said this, and she's in the World Council of Churches, quote, I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all. I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff. We just need to listen to the God, little g, within. Folks, that's exactly what the Antichrist 2,000 years ago were saying in Ephesus in John's day. Many people felt like they needed the God of self-esteem or the gospel of self-help or good works or humanitarianism or secret society. And to speak of the blood of Christ who is God in flesh becomes distasteful. And if the cross were not necessary, then the crucifixion is merely a heroic example of sacrifice. And it's popular in some so-called Christian circles now to speak of self-esteem and the power of positive thinking as the very heart of salvation. We've become so super sensitive and we don't want unbelievers turned off by our church services. And, And pastors are even telling me, you know, Bobby, when I prepare, all I'm really focused on is what will the unbeliever think? What will the unbeliever think? And I'm going, wait a minute, bud. The New Testament is not written primarily to the unbeliever. Most of the preaching of the New Testament is written to the believer. And it's saying, believer, get stronger. And the stronger you are, the more they'll see that this stuff is true and is changing our life. And they're going to want it because they're going to see the truth of it in us. Don't just think about preaching to the lost man. I'm saying, God, what word would you have for me for my brothers and my sisters so that by getting stronger, they see us on fire and they come to watch us burn and then they catch the flame. Can I get a witness to that? This seeker sensitivity is making me sick, and I'm sure it's making God sick. In fact, I'll preach a message on that one day. I've got one out of Revelation. I'll prove to you seeker sensitivity makes God sick. So here's the thing. To deny the necessity of the cross is to fall into the same error of those of John's day. There's no blood. There's no salvation because repentance and remission of sin comes by the blood. The Spirit draws, we repent, and it's by the blood we are cleansed. And so there's this Spirit and this water and this blood that are witnesses. All of these witnesses. Do you know the Bible says in Deuteronomy 19, uh, 15, that one witness shall not rise against a man and make any accusation or charge him of committing iniquity. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter will be established. And so the Bible is replete from Old Testament to New Testament with examples that say you got to have two or three witnesses. Don't bring an accusation without a multitude of witnesses. Well, what verse 9 is now saying is very simple. If we receive the witness of men, there are multiple witnesses of men, the witness of God is greater. The three in one God. For he, or for this is the witness of God which he's testified of his son. All he's saying there, folks, is that there's plenty of evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. If you'll believe the witness of other men, why would you not believe the witness of your creator God? 
Why would you not believe that? I want to close with a, a personal story. I haven't shared this here, and there was two things that I typed, and I decided I just want to give one of these. I'm not quite ready for the other one yet, but I want to give you one of these. Um, and somebody wrote me between services and said, I thought you were announcing uh, that you were leaving. That's not what I'm announcing, okay? This is not a, well, I was going to say a name. This is not that moment, so please don't go there. Um, that's discernment in the spirit holding my tongue. Um, I do want to tell you a story, though, because I think you need to understand, we, we listen to other witnesses. Why would we not listen to, to God? So um, 2012, we had been in our church, we were about to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Between 2012 and 2013, God did something in my heart. And all I can tell you is that when I prayer journal and I wrote it down, I would write, God, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? Our church had just grown tremendously, this way and this way. We had seen God allow us to expand our campus, build all new facilities. Everything was state-of-the-art. The staff was tremendous. We were starting a new academy. Things were going as well as you could have ever looked for in a church by every metric. But there was this sense of um, just God moving us. In fact, Genesis 12:1 kept coming over and over and over and over to me where the Lord told Abram, get up. Go from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. But he never told him where he was going. And I couldn't get it out of my head. I finally, it was eating me up so much, I finally went to Cindy and I said, I need you to pray about this. I don't understand this. Everything's great. I could be content to live here. Dobson, Mount Airy's a beautiful area. I could be content to live here my whole life. You can actually bait for deer. The deer hunting's good. I mean, it was a great area. And yet, we were being stirred and Cindy prayed and after a month or so, she confirmed. There's a witness. She confirmed. God's up to something. It was a long while later, like 18 months through this journey, that I got a call from a church in Middleburg, Florida. I didn't even know, I'd never been to Middleburg, never heard, I don't, I'm not aware of Middleburg, but um, long story short, there was a series of connections there, and um, here's the thing. My father, you do know this part, in early 2012, he'd been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, and that's a fast progressive disease in most people. Early onsets faster for the most part. So when I got this phone call from a much larger church, I thought there was no way that this could be of God because God, as an only child, God wouldn't take me away from my parents. I needed to be there. But I couldn't close the door that I felt the Lord had opened. So we did go and visit and we found that God was clearly in this. And I was more scared to go tell my parents than when I told them I was being called to ministry uh, and not going to take over the businesses. I was terrified because I thought mom would feel abandoned and be upset. And my dad was not speaking real clear and making a lot of sense anymore at that point. It wasn't real clear after this time had passed. So we sat down at their house. And I knew, I knew from the scripture God would take care of everything, okay? I knew that, but I didn't know how to say we may be leaving and going. We were an hour and a half away. We may be 10 hours away. That's a very big difference. And so um, I, I actually typed this years ago because I always wanted to get this right. Um, we shared what God had been up to. And then my father said something probably the first three sentences that made sense that had come out of his mouth in a long time. He said, son, if this is what God has called you to do, then you have to go. 
Your mom and I will be fine. You have to follow the Lord and trust him. He said a few other things. Well, we sat there, kind of all four of us in shock, me and Cindy and mom and dad. And mom was tears streaming down her face, and she confirmed, if this is what God's calling you to do, we're going to be fine. And God did take care of them in miraculous ways through that, put people in their life, and we were able to come up frequently. And... But here's the thing. I was willing to listen to my earthly father because I knew that he walked with the Lord. Even though his mind was beginning to fail him, he walked with the Lord. My mother walked with the Lord. So if I'm willing to listen to my earthly father, am I as willing to listen to the one who knows all things, my heavenly father? And in hindsight, looking back, while we loved the four and a half to five years we spent in Florida, we knew actually now at this point that God was preparing us in that larger ministry for what he would do in and through grace. We believe with all of our heart that what God was doing was actually moving us to get us out of the one place we had known to expand our understanding of ministry and multi-staff and being able to work in a larger setting with multiple services and being able to do some things that we had not been able to do while in North Carolina. And here's the thing. The Lord will often give us external witnesses that love God and that can confirm things in our life. My question is, are you willing to listen to them? It could be the preacher. It could be Christian music. It could be the, obviously, it's going to be confirmed by Scripture, never contradictory, but it could be many things. Henry Blackaby wrote about this years ago in Experiencing God. But are you willing to listen to those godly external witnesses? Are you willing to listen to the internal witness of the Holy Spirit? This passage talks about the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit who is a witness. When God is stirring you and there is a, something happening in your spirit, see, the one thing that's given me a deep and abiding conviction is that I believe God has called us here and God wants us to plant deep abiding roots here with our family to see God take grace and this community to some place that he's never taken us before. Because it would be just like God to do something God-sized in the community of Carnes with storage and donuts. I mean, it would be just like God to do that. Can I get a witness? <laughs> but I want to ask you, how is this happening in your life? Have you trusted the witness of Christ as your Savior? Have you taken him at his word and followed through and been a good witness for him in your baptism by immersion after salvation? If you hadn't, you're in disobedience. Settle it. Get it right. And we'll be glad to help you with that. That's why we had uh, the young lady in the beginning here and some others talking to our counselors. Have you followed the witness of the Lord and his people and do you trust him today? Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God is gracious? Do you believe God has a plan for you? Do you believe God that wants to grow his kingdom? Do you believe that God has something bigger and better for your life than you could even ask or imagine or think? Do you believe that? I believe that because I want a life that lives on beyond me. The time here is short. I want grace to leave a legacy. And I want you to be a witness. Stand with me today. I know that um, we, we have some folks that are facing some difficult things in their life. And their faithfulness to trust God in this is a witness to me. I'm watching how they respond to the challenges they're facing, cancer and loss and all sorts of struggle. And I'm watching how they respond, and it's a witness to me.
And so I want to ask you, if you have something to bring before God today, why don't you come? Why don't you lay it before the Lord? Why don't you nail some stuff down? Counselors and pastors are ready to see you, or when Miss Cindy and I are here, we'd be ready to talk to you. We would love to share with you how you can nail these things down and be sure. And if I'm willing to trust people, my wife, my father, if I'm willing to listen, why wouldn't I be willing to listen to the spirit of the living God? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I know that nobody's here by accident first. I know nobody's listening or watching now or even later by chance. Happenstance gives way to your sovereignty. And so I believe that you are speaking to someone's heart today. That they're getting a sense that this is what you're asking of them. And now, Lord, they simply need to surrender and be a true witness for what you're doing in their life. A call to salvation, a call to resurrender, a call to baptism, a call to join the church family, a call to ministry, maybe vocational ministry. Maybe you're saying, you know, you know I want you to do this. You know I'm drawing you to me to do this. Whatever it may be, oh God, would you do what only you can do in the final minutes we have together today? I'm so excited for the state of grace, for what we're seeing. What we see on Sunday morning on the platform is just a tiny sample, a cherry on top of a much deeper and wider Sunday. You are doing so many amazing things here. We could never have enough time to praise you and thank you. But in these final minutes, we'll do our best. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar's open. Let's all testify together. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, he picked me up and turned me around. How he placed my feet on solid ground. Sing that again when I think. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the whole. Solid ground. Here we go. It makes me. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory. Come on. Man. If you don't like it loud and happy, you ain't ready for heaven yet. I'm going to just tell you right now. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.